going to be in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1. If you're using one of ours, uh, one of the Blue Bibles, it's on page 567. Last week, uh, Larkin opened us up, and he kind of gave us this big picture. He used the metaphor of like a trip. He talked about him and his friends going on a trip, how um, them planning the trip, knowing kind of what was going to come, helped their trip be really, really fun. So um, he kind of just set the course for us and said, hey, look, um, we're not going to dig really deep into Ephesians right now, um, but this is what you can expect as we spend the next 18 weeks in the book of Ephesians. And so he kind of just set the table for us. If you missed that teaching, um, everything that follows that teaching will make sense because of his teaching. So um, I would encourage you, you can go to ethoschurch.org, check out our podcast, and uh, you can listen to the teaching there. That will help you as um, we walk through Ephesians um, slowly but steadily. Um, This week, we're going to be covering verses 3 through 14. And um, one of the things that Larkin mentioned last week was if you ever get a letter from somebody, a handwritten letter, if you've ever gotten that, um, the last thing you do is like skip the first six paragraphs, read the seventh paragraph, and assume you understand the intent of the letter, and just throw it up and you're throw it away and say, okay, that was a great letter. You know, uh, you read it from beginning to end, and yet so often, what do we do with letters uh, in the Bible? Like we see it, we call them books, and so we'll read like a chapter or two, but like they weren't written in chapters or verses; they were like letters from people to other people. Um, and so that's the point of this study. We want to walk through Ephesians so we can get the heart behind the entire letter. So. Before we even uh, dig in, I've got like probably five minutes of prefacing, so so deal with me. I'm going to preface for the next five, okay? Um, So just to give us some context for what's happening here before we read, um, Paul is is writing, um, and this letter, as kind of Larkin talked last week, was intended to be circulated amongst a lot of the people of the Lord that Paul had uh, ministered to. So um, he is currently under house arrest in Rome. That's what's widely believed. In this moment, he's been arrested for the first time in Rome. This is crazy and kind of ironic because Paul spent most of his time growing up persecuting the Christian church. It was kind of on Paul's agenda, if anyone was preaching in the name of Jesus, to see to it that they would be arrested and persecuted. He even um, held coats as people stoned people to death. Like He watched Christians die and thought that that was a part of his duty. And ironically, he meets Jesus and begins being like the greatest missionary we've ever known. And so now he's writing a letter while under house arrest in Rome for preaching the name of Jesus. And so it's this amazing moment where he is imprisoned, and he's writing, and I started thinking this week, what, just to help me appreciate sort of the emotion and the feeling that goes into this teaching, um, into this letter, is, you know, if I was under house arrest, and I was writing with the technology that Paul had, I'm assuming he didn't have like a command A, delete button, right? So um, not a lot of room for like typos and making a lot of mistakes, right? Um, I, in my head, he's writing with a feather pen. I don't know if that's what he's actually doing, but that's what it is in my head. And it's on a scroll and it's all that. But uh, I know the technology is pretty old school, no printing press. So um, what goes into this letter is said on purpose, right? There's, there's intentionality in what he's saying. He's kind of getting to the point and he's writing to a, a wide range of people. And when you're doing that, you don't have time to go, hey, Joe, how's your mom? Like, Larkin, how's your sister? You know, it's like, it's not, you don't have time for that. You kind of got to get to the point when you're writing to a broad audience. And so as we begin to walk through these verses, just keep in mind, what you're about to read is what Paul, writing by hand, and if we do this today, you're going to do it so careful when you're writing by hand, this is what he wants to say first. 
He's like, let me get to it. And what's really funny about what we're about to read, or I thought it was funny, in Greek, it's like the longest run-on sentence ever. We're reading three verses three through 14. You might see some periods in your Bible. In the Greek, there are no periods. Paul is just running. He's like looking at his Greek teachers from back in the day, his grammar teachers, and it's just like, I literally never listened to you guys. Like, here's, <laughs> here's the run-on sentence. And so when I read this, I sense this energy from Paul. He's so excited, he's forgetting everything he ever learned in grammar school. He's like, I just need to get this all out. And I love... I love kind of the passion you hear in his heart. He's excited to reveal this beautiful truth. One more part to my preface, and then we'll actually get to Ephesians, okay? Um, So as we read verses 3 through 14, um, you're going to see some words in there um, that might cause you to either be confused or maybe it's going to cause you to feel some weightiness. Um, Words like predestination, uh, fullness of time, like this idea that before time began, God chose his people. Um, And for some of you, you're going to read the word predestination, and you're going to go, not sure what it means. It's cool with me, though. You know, some of you can be, I, I, I kind of want to know more. And some of you, if you grew up in Christian circles or have ever had like a deep theological conversation, may have even spent hours talking about the word predestination. And last week uh, at Open House, um, did anyone go to Open House last week? Good. Oh, there are a few. I thought there was going to be a lot more. We had like 20, so it was good. Um, but at Open House, that's where we kind of explain why ethos exists, what we believe. And one of the things we talk about is this idea of open-handed beliefs and closed-handed beliefs. And when we have closed-handed beliefs as a church, these are things that we all agree on, that we really believe, uh, that we will not uh, flex on, we won't bend on. So like an idea of that would be Jesus is the Son of God. Salvation comes in Jesus alone. That is a close-handed belief that will never change. But open-handed beliefs, we say, hey, across the Christian spectrum, there are going to be different beliefs here, and we're okay with that. We will not let it divide us. We will stay unified. Jesus is king, and it's okay if you believe differently. So in the realm of predestination, if you don't know what I'm talking about, totally cool. If you do, though, in the realm of predestination, my goal here is not to develop your theology this morning on what predestination is. I'm probably not going to show a lot of my cards on what I believe about it, okay? I'm going to allow that to remain an open-handed belief. So like Larkin and I, literally Larkin and I, campus pastor and me, have a little bit of different belief here. But that's okay. We both believe Jesus is king, and we're going we're gonna to walk through this humbly, okay? There is all of the prefaces. All right, let's get into Ephesians. It's about to be awesome. All right, Um, Ephesians 1. um, Let's read verses 3 through 14. I'm going to pray for us and then kind of let us know uh, where we're headed. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, The gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I'm going to pray real quick. God, 
I prayed during our time that would you just give me clarity walking through this passage? Um, God, would you help us just to behold some of the, the simplicity of how deep your love is, um, how amazing you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, just move in our hearts. Um, Lord, for those that feel isolated far away, um, God, would this word just enrich their lives? Would it just hug them so tight? Um, just the reality of how intimate you want to be, how close you want to be to us. Um, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Um, thank you for this place. Amen. Um, so we're going to kind of walk through three movements through this passage. Um, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you know so you can kind of know where we're headed. Um, the first idea that we're going to talk about is this idea of adoption. Um, the first thing we want to talk about is adoption, this idea that God has welcomed us into his family. It's this amazing reality. Um, the second is this idea of advancement. Um, in verses 9 and 10, you see this idea that, that God longs to bring unity um, in all things in heaven and on earth, and we get to play a part in that. And then the third thing is going to be um, this word advocate. And so he talks about the promised one, the Holy Spirit, this presence of God that's going to enter into our lives. Um, sorry for using a bottle like that. That looks terrible. Um, all right. So um, let's look into the first, uh, five, the first five verses, verses um, three through eight, um, this idea of adoption, this idea that God has welcomed us into his family. And so I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like this, but um, have you ever, like with your mom or dad or whoever raised you, um, maybe when you were younger, had an argument that was kind of uh, around like someone telling you what to do, and then you began to, in your infinite wisdom, debate why you should or should not do it. So if it's like clean your room, it's like, look, mom, dad, look, I love you guys. Right now my schedule's really full. I got a lot on me. Um, let's just talk through this. I don't want my identity to be in my performance. Uh, I, I'm your son. That's why you love me. Not because I clean my room or don't clean my room. So, you know, and you get into this, okay, you've never had that debate, but you know, you know what I'm saying. You have this debate, and then eventually, once you've argued enough, what you end up coming to, uh, maybe just raise your hand if you've heard this. Hey, do this because I said so. Has anyone heard that before? It's like, mom, why, dad, why? Because I said so. It's like whenever I'm uh, talking to my mom or dad, not now, but back in the day, you know, when I was younger and I had to clean my room, it's like we're having all these really well-reasoned debates and I think I'm kind of having an edge. And then mom says, son, you're gonna do this because I'm your mother and I said so. And all of a sudden, every logical reason just goes out the window and it's so unfortunate, right? Because it's like, crap. It's like, I know that, I know for a fact that she put a lot of effort into making sure I even came into the world. Um, and she tells me about it whenever she's mad at me. She's like, I worked really hard to get you here. And it's like, <laughs> I don't want to go into the imagery there, but like, I believe her. I know that it wasn't very easy, but like, uh, when that happens, when mom brings that logic, hey, I brought you into this world, right? Like, it's like, okay, I'll clean my stupid room, you know? And I started thinking about this, this train of thought, like when it's mom or dad or your authority, when you're young enough, you're just like, because you said so, is honestly a good enough reason. I can't provide for myself. I can't really do anything for myself. So whatever you say, I kind of have to listen to. Like, it's kind of pivotal to my survival here, right? And so I started thinking about God and just kind of really went big picture. And I was like, you know, if, if God is a thing, right? And, and obviously I'm here and we're all here, uh, mostly because we believe that he is absolutely a thing. He's, he's real. But if God is real, then we as creation don't have a ton of say-so, right, like in who God is. God, being creator, creating existence, kind of has the final say. If we managed to get seven billion people to miraculously agree on one thing and then try to persuade God in it, it's up to God. He is the creator. 
And as much as our Western independent kind of shove away what we don't like, uh, our mindset is like, okay, we don't like that, so we'll just push it to the side and go this route. It's like, we all can kind of agree there. If God is real and he created existence, he kind of has the final say. I'm God, I said so. End of the story, right? And what's amazing about this reality is one, we've seen authority used in really weird ways, right? Really harsh ways, whether it was teachers or in the government, whatever. We've seen authority wielded in such harmful ways where it was arrogant or demanding or abusive or manipulative. And the truth is God can do that. He's God. He answers to no one. But what I love about this passage is what we're reading here in Ephesians 1 is the heartbeat of God. It's who God has chosen to be. So let's keep reading. Let's read in verse uh, in verse four, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but whatever walk of life you're in, I doubt that when someone says, okay, give me two words to describe you, you're not like, um, I know holy. Um, God, what is a good second one? Uh, blameless, probably, right? That's not us. Like, no matter what we believe, we have this understanding that our life is a mess. If it's not a mess right now, it was, and if it hasn't ever been and isn't now, we probably know it's gonna be, and it definitely already was, so you're, in a, a, you're delusional, right? It's like, we know that we're, we're not holy and blameless, and yet this passage says that it's in God's plans to make us holy and blameless, So there's a mystery there, because if we're not holy and blameless, how can this be so? But let's keep reading in verse five. I I gotta figure out what page I'm on, there we go. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. There's this reality that for those who believe in Jesus have been adopted by the creator of all things. Now, I don't know about you, but in middle school, I used to hear really immature kids, me being one of them, say stupid jokes like, hey, you don't know this, but you're adopted. You know, like, you don't know this. Your parents never told you, but you're adopted. And did anyone ever hear jokes like that? And I don't even know what we were getting at there. But within that joke, in the DNA of that joke, was this reality that if you are adopted, you are of lesser value right? Like that's, that's what's in the joke. It, if you don't know you're adopted and you were, that means automatically you're lesser than. It gives this like merit to bloodline above adoption. But I want to be really clear here. When Paul uses this word, he is in Rome, he's under house arrest, but in the Roman sense, when he's speaking of adoption, there was no lesser rank. Adoption meant you were in the family and immediately equal. So when God says, that you've been predestined to be adopted into the family through Jesus Christ, he's saying, you are all in the family. You aren't on the guest list. You're not like, hey, I'm with this guy. It's like, no, you are in the family. Like, you can go to the cabinet. You can get your own special plate, your own special cup, go to your own special bed. You get the key. You don't have to knock. You walk right through the door and say, I'm back. I'm home. Like that, That's the reality of this adoption. God is saying, you're not kind of in. You're not sort of in. You didn't barely... You're in because you're family. That's the reality of this word, adoption. But let's keep reading because it gets more and more beautiful. It's not like God was like, yeah, I love you. I'll have you in. Like, come on in. There's something that took place for this to become our reality. Let's keep reading. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. I want to talk about this word, redemption. 
This word redemption means to buy back, to purchase back. There's this reality that in the beginning of time, God creates, creation exists, and there is perfect unity between God and man. But man, somewhere along the way, chooses to divert from God, and imperfection enters creation. And what's amazing about this is that though creation used to belong completely to God and then chose to um, put a break in that relationship, is that God did not stand idly by and say, that's too bad. We really could have had something special here, right? What does he do in Jesus He becomes man, he becomes flesh, he he walks this earth, he serves, he befriends you, he he knows the struggles, he knows the pain, he considers his amazing heavenly status as the son of God nothing and humbles himself and walks with us and gives up his life on the cross. Why does he give up his life on the cross? Because he loves you, because there's a real sin debt and it took someone in perfection giving up their life to offer that to us, that is redemption. This gift is not freely given because it's simply free. This gift was earned. It just was not earned by you. It was earned by Jesus. This adoption was purchased. Jesus fought for that. He gave his life for that. It's this amazing truth. He's like, I promise you I love you. If you're looking for proof, here's my life. Like, I'm dying for you. And even as I'm on the cross, I'm praying for forgiveness for the very ones who put the nails in my wrists. Like, forgive them. It's like, that is redemption. It's not just this, oh, God loves you, so you're in. It's like, no, in Jesus, he bought that for you. And man, if you believe in his name, you really are in. And let's keep looking, because this just honestly keeps getting so beautiful. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And I want you to pay attention to this word, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He lavished upon us. So I don't know you, I know some of you, but I don't know everyone's like stories. I don't know what you're bringing into this room. I know my own life. I know that I have a lot of shame I don't have a lot of things in my story that I wish I could forget that hurt me, that I feel dirty and guilty and like, I can't believe I did that. I I don't understand. And what's amazing about this word lavished, this idea of grace, is it's this idea that it reaches back into abundance. Like it doesn't just like say, oh, God's not up there like, shoot, I think I might've just ran out of grace. It's like, it's like, no, like he lavishes it on all former, current, and future sins, like anyone in Jesus, God is reaching back into an infinite amount. Has anyone ever seen an infinity pool? It's this illusion, right? It looks like the water goes forever, but then you go to the end and figure out it's just a wall. It's like, I thought this water went forever. It's not an infinity pool. God has a literal infinity pool of grace. You actually go and try to find the end and you never, ever, ever do. Grace lavished upon you. Did anyone ever watch that show on Nickelodeon where there was the slime? Grace! Just God's over there just pulling the lever like, and it's just, and it's just all over you. And I I don't know why that came to my head. That wasn't planned, but, and I know it's funny, but I'm serious. This is like, we're, we're reading straight from scripture. Like this is like text that Paul was like, couldn't find a period to put in there. Just like, no, you got to know all of this, man. He is throwing all kinds of grace on you. And that is your reality. And at the beginning, when I asked you, raise your hand if you feel good. Raise your hand if you feel so far. And I'm like, man, I'm, 
I'm on the second hand today. My God, help me to receive this truth because this rocks. Man, I'm in on infinite grace. I'm in on every past, present, and future mistake being totally washed away. Not because God just is like, yeah, you can have it. He's like, no, because I bought it for you. I earned that. Be in my family. I love you. I love this. This is what it means to be the adopted sons and daughters of the king. This is beautiful. Let's move on to verses 9 and 10. This is going to be this idea of advancement. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I love this, making known to us the mystery of his will. I was talking to Aaron. He's the campus pastor at the cannery. And he, one of the things that he thought of this week was, man, when you're in the family, you get to know all the family secrets. It's like whatever grandma used to make those really good cookies, you get the recipe passed down to you, right? That didn't happen to me. I don't know if she ever had a secret recipe, but you may have had one of those. So um, I love that about family, right? You get to know things that only the family gets to know. And in this moment, God is going to let us in on a mystery, um, something that wasn't yet known, but became fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And so back in like Genesis, there's this guy named Abraham who God calls out to and says, like, follow me, uh, I've chosen you. And um, Abraham uh, is, ends up being the, the forefather to this group of people called the Israelites. And this was God's chosen people. And it was how God showed himself to the world was through this group of people called the Israelites. And um, until Jesus, it wasn't fully clear what God wanted for the world. But when Jesus comes, how he spends his life gives us access to this mystery that wasn't yet known until he came. As he befriends the despised, as he welcomes in the marginalized, as he preaches the good news of the kingdom of God, as he prays, our Father, hallowed be thy name, and thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus lets us in on, hey, the end goal is to see heaven and earth collide, that every knee would bow, every tongue confess, that all of creation will exclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what's so much fun about this, because we look around our world and we don't see it yet. It's not complete yet. It will be one day. Jesus will be king and everyone, everything will acknowledge it. But until that day, we have been invited into this unity. We get to participate in the bringing down heaven into earth, that heaven's ways, whatever's in heaven, would be in our lives. That the marginalized would feel comforted, that the alone would feel like they have company, that we would walk with people, lock arms, that, that socioeconomic backgrounds, that race, that nothing would divide us because Jesus unites everything. It's like, and we get to be in that. That is God's big plan. That's the mystery. We know the playbook now. He wants to see heaven and earth be unified, and he wants us in on that. Now, when I hear that, it sounds like super beautiful, right? When I think about Matthew and at the very end of Matthew, Jesus' command, go into the nations, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm just like, yes, let's do it. Let's see everyone like come to Jesus, every race, everything. And then I look around and I'm like, well, we're not quite there yet, right? It's beautiful, but I, I don't feel capable of making this happen. But I want us to see what happens in verse 13. This is this idea of an advocate. It says, in him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul says that when you hear the gospel of salvation, when you believe in Jesus, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That God doesn't just go, hey, welcome to the family. See you in eternity, right? 
He's like, here is my spirit. Like, I join you. I come into your life. I empower you. In John 14, I want us to turn there real quick. Uh, John 14, verses 15 through 18. I want us to hear kind of how Jesus talks about um, the Holy Spirit. If you use one of our Bibles, that's on page 525. John 14, verses 15 through 18. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper or another word for that would be advocate to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And this is the promise of God. Jesus would even say, it's better that I leave so this spirit can come. Because like, I want to be with everyone, so I got to get out of here so the Spirit can come and just indwell my people, right? And then in Acts 2, we get this picture of this group of people just praying in a room, and then all of a sudden the Spirit that was promised comes. And then what follows in Acts 2? Man, Peter, one of the disciples, preaches an epic sermon. 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus. And then the community of Jesus, filled with the Spirit, begins just living life and generosity and love. And the Scripture says that the Lord added to their number every single day. And the same Spirit that did that in the church that got this whole thing started 2,000 years ago, the same spirit that drove Jesus to serve people, that gave him that humility we're like, we can barely even relate to, that led him to the cross, still pleading for forgiveness, that empowered him to resurrect from the dead, to bring healing, to multiply the bread and fit. The same spirit that did all that in Jesus is promised to us. And that's the reality of this word advocate. And I know that some of us might not feel super close to God, but this is his promise. And I don't know why we have seasons where it feels like he's far. I trust that he's teaching us, but like we need his spirit. We've not been called into this legalist, like do these three things and that's how the world will get better. It's like, no, like lead with the spirit of God. So um, as we go to communion today, I wanted to give us a chance just to reflect on these three realities. Uh, First, that you've been adopted into the family, that anyone who believes in Jesus, this is your reality. So you might be here today and have never chosen to follow Jesus, and you might have a really skewed view of who God is. This is who God is. He is ready to lavish grace on your life. And if you don't believe in God and you have questions or you want to pray, we'll have, uh, let's see, Darcy and Joe... Uh, Larkin, uh, we'll have people at the respond banner um, during communion. If you want to go pray with them, please do that. Or maybe you're here today and you believed in Jesus, you know you're walking with him, but you just feel super far from him. And maybe you've forgotten this word today. And I just encourage you, during communion, when we get up and go get communion, sit back down and just accept this truth as hard as it can be. Like, just accept. Like, he loves me. Like, that same grace is still mine today. So uh, I'm going to pray for us. Um, We'll get communion and uh, we'll go from there. God, thank you for um, this word. I think the biggest push I felt as I was talking about it was just through this identity of being adopted sons and daughters of the King, of the Most High. Jesus, I pray that that would be a reality that we just accept, that we choose to believe, step into your will, and, and to know that there are things for us to claim that you've promised us, this grace 
holy and blameless. We get to claim that. That's ours in Jesus. I pray for our time of communion. Holy Spirit, would you minister to us? Um, In Jesus' name, amen.